And I don't really know what I'm doing at all these goddamn days when it comes to not being the Grey Knight. I have no clue. And I guess that's the opening of tonight's show, is that I'm... I, I I am that guy more and more, and I am the Grey Knight less and less throughout various days, and it's been a long time since I was him because he was sick, and when he wasn't sick, he was involved in very different stuff, and I'm not trying to be too disembodied, but it's a weird, weird feeling, and I feel like I'm nailing it because... There's no way to not. As long as I try, as long as I move forward, uh, as long as I make some efforts, yada, 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 then everything is good. Do we all agree with that? Do we all think that that's maybe the right way to look at things and that's how you should treat your best friend, uh, that's how you should treat yourself, that sort of thing? Do we, all, do we all think that? Great. Okay, so now that we've gotten that code of primer on the fucking wall, that we all think that I'm doing a good job and that I'm uh, I'm doing well and that sort of thing. Now that we're all there, let me just talk about what a fucking fuck up I am, so that you all think that I'm doing that I'm not being like mean to myself. But we can all just accept that as long as we don't put faith in results, that we're doing better. So I'm going to talk about how I guess I'm fucking up. Uh, as the as the Grey Knight and as the guy who's not him. Uh, but I'm having a pretty good time, and so I'm inviting you into it. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is... I... This is going to... Before we go any further, I understand how arrogant this is going to sound, and I've... I wrote this out twice this week and then pulled it back and then said, fuck it. No... We're just going to have to dig in. So if somebody thinks that this is too fucking arrogant, then so be it. So we're just going to start. I am too good at flirting now to flirt. I'm going to say that again. And I... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to the word, the key word of this opening statement, which is anchoring. The key word of tonight is anchoring, not brought to you by my shrink. I had to bring anchoring to my shrink. And he's like, what do you want to do with that, pirate boy? What do you want to do with that anchor? So what is anchoring? Anchoring is the idea that your psychology, your mindset, is greatly, greatly influenced by other things that you're psychologically taking in. Huh? If everybody's on fire then somebody being on fire is not that big of a deal. If everybody, if all of your friends are depressed and saying they're depressed, then some of your friends saying they're depressed can't be that big of a deal. It's less of a big deal than if everybody wasn't saying it. If, 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 what we are living in is you are anchored to it, you are tethered to it, you can only get your mindset so far from it. If you truly processed it, if it's truly a part of your emotional idea, you cannot get your mindset X distance away from that radius. That center, it pulls on you, you are anchored to it. And everything you see in that vein, gets compared and contrast to it. 
So anchoring is something that's happening to us all the time. Every single adult human being, every adolescent, um, I'm assuming this is a childhood stage as well, is constantly grasping onto and letting go of anchors throughout the perception. Some they want, some you just get by walking around. Let's talk about perceptions of beauty and anchoring. You can't let go of your anchor of the most attractive woman that you've seen in an advertisement or movie. Ever. And there's a very good chance that you can't get over that woman, that referenced woman, than one that you saw on the street that was very attractive. I know, I can't get over the most attractive man I've ever seen and fuck him. I hate him. How dare he? That's how I know. It's really easy. He's there. And when I look in the mirror, he's there. And when I look at any other man I see, he's there. Because I saw him once. And I was like, what the fucking fuck? Are we even the same species? Come the fuck fucking on. Just on a bridge? Just where trolls are supposed to be? (gasps) Am I the troll? (gasps) Oh, no. So I held him up for money, and then I threw him off the side of my bridge. He might be pretty, but I'm strong. Hey, man, he rolled high on charisma, I rolled high on strength. We both got to play this game of D&D. Let's do this. I didn't tell you why I was still thinking about the most beautiful man I'd ever see him. Because he was my first murderer, and now I wear his face. (laughs) Just like my second murderer was the man with the perfect voice. (laughs) All right, so... Uh, anchoring is this idea that you're just never, ever, 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 ever going to get away from. Problem is that other people make anchors out of you when you're not one. Because I'm sometimes the Grey Knight, and then I flip off, and then I watch a zombie game in reruns of Mr. Robot. And I mean watch a zombie game, because I'm not playing it. I'm really into games you don't have to play these days. They're the best! I'm so good at them! I win them all the time! Oh, I don't have to play? Well, then I win! Yay! Put on a rerun... I smoke some weed. I guarantee you, when I'm in that mindset, there's nothing about me that's like, I am the great knight. I am daddy. Now, here's the thing. I'm never in that mindset. I'm never in that mindset. But I totally appreciate that somebody thinks that I might be, especially if they're a fan, especially if they've listened to a lot, especially if they've enjoyed it. I get that. I am going to just reference a person because he's very popular right now. I've enjoyed him for about a decade, and he's very much in the zeitgeist. His name is Jason Manzukis. He's all over shows like The Good Place. Uh, he's got he's got uh, very popular stuff. He's he's just kind of around a lot these days. And I enjoy him and his work a great deal. I listen to his podcast all the time. And so I think that if I saw him and said, like, I'm a big fan of yours, I understand what his reaction might be. But I have no clue, because that's a persona in addition to being a man. And it's performance, and it's an actor, and that's how he makes his money. And it's the exact same thing. So I get that. I fall into the same trap. I've listened to enough hours of this guy. I'm like, would he, like, shout something at me? Is even a question in my mind. I have no idea. He's a real-life human being. He can do anything he fucking wants. He can explode. He can throw his food at me. He can say, not right now. He can say, thank you. I mean, let's just... I don't know why I went with three weird things. I really don't. That's not the written down part. 
I promise. I didn't I didn't spend time coming down with all the angry things that Jason Menzoukas might do if I said I liked his work. That's very weird, and I don't know why I associated that with him. But my point being, anchoring, my point, because he's always shouting his punchlines, and he's always very, I'm going to count out. That's why. So uh, I get it, but I'm not that guy. And so I was just talking about before the live show about how I have to go buy a McDonald's both fucking ways. I have to go buy a McDonald's both ways on the way to the gym. And it's this really interesting moment of my day when I go. Because I don't eat at McDonald's no more. I haven't really. I had to eat at them all the time in 2017, and I kind of maxed out. So... Because I didn't have any money and because I could actually keep it down just fine. I ate McDonald's all the time. And I was just thinking about this the other day when not going to the gym. In 2017, I was so fucking broke that McDonald's ran a morning special that they would give a hash brown and a sausage biscuit for $1.50. A hash brown and a sausage biscuit together are almost exactly 600 calories. And I would go and I would buy three of these every day. Because I was that fucking broke in 2017. I talked about this before for patrons. Uh, I'm really very proud of how far I've come. Um, I was also sick, so I also had some dietary restrictions. And you're like, dietary restrictions plus eating McDonald's for breakfast. I know. It was magical. It was very strange. And at the first month or two, I was so excited. I was. But I hated it by the end of it. To the point that I've legitimately only really eaten McDonald's for breakfast a couple of times uh, in 2019. I thought I was going to eat it all the time in 2018, and I did not. And now I'm not eating McDonald's anymore. It's just thinking about this. And so I hit this crossroad, literally, with this McDonald's on the corner, which is near my gym. And it's just this confrontation, not only of what I want from the Grey Knight going forward, because I, I don't feel old. I don't feel like I got to stop. As I approach 40, I'm not in any way like, oh my God, I'm approaching 40, because I feel fucking great. I feel amazing. I've already felt way older than this, so <laughs> I don't give a fucking shit. Green tea and push-ups, baby. Let's do, let's do aging as well as we goddamn can. Um... And I, I feel really good about this prospect, but it's that great, you know, feeling of, do you want McDonald's now? Or do you want to achieve what you want later? Do you want that burrito now? Or do you want to take that pick at the end of the month? So I, I'm, I'm posing a lot of questions about basic level identity and basic day-to-day -day living here, along with this keyword of anchoring, because... I, I'm just so used to being really sick and being really holed up and cloistered and and having a scarcity mindset and a survival mindset and a PTSD mindset. And this last week has made it abundantly clear to me, it's time to stop. It's time to stop living that way because I did on accident a couple of times and I don't know what to make of it. So here we go. Here's what's next. Um, uh, the day that I put up the pictures for the Christmas tree, I left the house twice in one day. And I cannot begin to tell you the last time that I did that. This is something 
that legitimately cost me a job uh, a long time ago because I accidentally, long before the internet was reliable, the internet effects, long before the internet was reliable, I came across uh, an actuary table, for those of you who don't know, that, that, that shows when and how people die is an actuary table. I came across an actuary table for vehicle statistics. And it freaked me the fuck out. I saw exactly what percentage the odds were in the state that I was living in at the time to die an unnatural death, that is to die a death before you would die of the natural median age in an automobile accident. And it was way too high. I was like, what? That should be a point zero zero something. It's not. Whoa, scary. And it really affected me. And this is, of course, before I knew about PTSD. This is before I knew about anything like that that could dig in and I could have, uh, I could have thoughts that just wouldn't be able to shut off. So now that I know that, this wouldn't be such a scary thing to come across. But randomly coming across it back then, it just sank in. And literally every single time I've ever driven in my life, up until about a year ago, up until about maybe 10 months ago, nine months ago, because I was trying to process the car crash that happened in 2018. And I was like, well, I got to get over this if I ever want to drive again, because I couldn't drive for weeks after that car crash. I got a new car, and then I didn't leave the apartment for 23 fucking consecutive days. Got groceries and toilet paper and everything delivered. Had all my cleaning supplies. Would stand literally outside uh, my front door at the apartment complex. Look at the car. Be like, get in the car. Get in the car. Take one step forward. Get in the car. Get in the car. Couldn't do it. Didn't leave my apartment for 23 fucking days. Because there was nothing to walk to on foot from there. So it's just that level of stuck at the end of 2018 with my PTSD. And I said, I have to 100% just dig in on the driving thing and get into this. So I started to unpack it. Literally every time I got behind a wheel before that point, I said to myself, these are the chances that you'll die. And I took that up when that behavior was a bit more beneficial to me, <laughs> back when I had to drive like 60 miles, literally 30 miles on the way to work, 30 miles on the way back. And like, if I really want, like, you should get an electric shaver because your shaver just broke. It's like, do you really want to drive 60 fucking miles to get an electric shaver? It can wait, Scruff. It can wait, Scruff McDuck. You can do it. You can wait one day for the electric razor. See? Now that heuristic makes sense. But you're living in the middle of a fucking city when you're in your fucking 30s and fucking no one's dying in a fucking car crash anywhere fucking near you. Gun Gunfire, sure. Stabbings, absolutely. Homeless people freezing to death? Pshaw, they barely include it. But not car crashes. There's not enough of a fast uh, roadway around where you're at. So if you're... Wow, no one's laughing at that part. Damn, I told you we were going to get heavy. I didn't think it was going to be that heavy. So, uh, you just have to get over this kind of mindset. The anchoring that I'd been carrying around for over 15 years at that point was always the death and destruction. It's always the death and destruction. And then I took that same number that I had been saying to myself and effectively torturing myself with for years and years and years, every time I got behind the wheel of a car. By the way, I was a food driver. Uh, 
this number that I had been torturing myself with, and I reversed it. I reversed it, the number. Now, you can't change the number, but I looked up what the current number was, because I saw an old number. So I, saw, I looked up what the current number was, or a couple years old. And you can't undo knowledge. The curse of knowledge is a curse. It's there. But I did reverse it. I did look at it. And I did say to myself, okay, that's the total number. How many people keep their hands at 10 and 2? How many people are totally unintoxicated? How many people have their glasses up to date and checked? How many people have their tires and cars and automobiles up to date and checked? How many people? How many people? How many people? How many people are going to die today in your state in a car crash outside of a freeway, outside of a city? Really, is it one or two or three? It's a lot, but it's probably one or two or three in the state in total. Still a lot because it's happening in every state and every day. One or two or three. Get in the fucking car. Because the anchor, if you can't change it, you change your orientation. One of my absolute favorite sayings in this world, one of my absolute favoring mantras is, you cannot direct the wind. You can adjust your sail. You've got no choice on the first. You've got nothing you can do on the first. You do have possible options on the second. So anchoring, if something is a part of you, if something is part of your mental illness, like PTSD is a part of mine, like my issues with self-esteem are a part of mine, and they're not going anywhere, however much I wish they were. They're not disappearing anytime, however much I wish they were. What I do and try instead is accept them, embrace them, thank them. Yes, thank them. Yes, thank the components of me that caused me so much damage. My anger and my PTSD and my depression. Thank them for their concerns, for their cares about me, for their protection, for their service. Try and listen to what they're actually saying. Try and listen to that deep down, What's the base of that ah? What's the base of that scream? What's the base of that fear? And then deal with that as best I can with all of my demons and all my goblins and all of the gobbledygook that are in my head just like yours. Maybe even more. I might be more fucked up than you. I might be both simultaneously both fucked up, more fucked up, and more put together than you. Because typically people, typically speaking, people measure fucked uptitude by how fucked up someone is. But I might just be like, like the functional alcoholic of mental health issues. Like I might be an absolute nightmare upstairs. But boy, howdy, does the nightmare council get shit done. You know, they open it up just like that goddamn Disney villain, you know, thing, and they all come swooping in, all their little monstrous forms, and somehow we can agree to mash the potatoes together. Yes, we want to kill the neighbor because the dog told us to, but we understand that if we do that, we're going to get caught and thrown in prison because of Minehunter, 
so instead we're going to mash the taters. And if we do that, then everyone's going to be fine with us. <clears throat> so what does this have to do with fucking flirting? What does that have to do with anchoring and all the mental health? Because I've been talking about that a lot because I've been meditating a lot because I feel like I've been making some minor victories on that one a lot in the Grey Knight and all the mistakes I've been making. Well, let me tell you because I'm so glad that I told you. <sighs> I'm too fucking good at flirting. I'm too fucking good at flirting, you see. Because I was already always great at it. All right? I was already a natural. I came out winking, all right? I had the first female doctor deliverer in the entire state, and I came right out, and I finger-gunned, and I gave it right away, baby. My first professional gig was the dancing baby in Ally McBeal. I know you were very turned on by me. It's okay. And I've just always, always been that way. I've always been very flirtatious. Women online have always found me more enjoyable than women in person until fairly recently. Uh, not not because there wasn't times where I wasn't really good looking or in great physical shape, but just because I gave off a weird vibe because I was very uncomfortable and I, I wasn't very comfortable in my own skin. And women are really good at detecting that because every guy, they're like, oh, he's a little off. You find out pretty soon, oh, shit, that guy could kill me. Oh, a little off with a guy means a lot off, possibly. Shit. Like, if like if I just walk off to a guy and he's a little off the first meeting, uh-uh. Uh-uh. If he can't hide his crazy for a while, uh-uh. So women got that pretty quick. They walk up and, oh, my God, hi, I see you around this gym all the time. Like, uh, uh, uh. And they just go run away screaming because the detector went off. The, uh-oh. The, I don't have true crime yet, because it's not a genre. I don't have a true crime addiction yet, because it's not a genre. But something in me is telling me that I might end up inside a freezer if I keep this up. I don't know why, (laughs) but somewhere a woman deep inside my genetic code is screaming, Get out! Get out now! (laughs) We've seen this before, and he turns us into soup! (laughs) and so uh i've always been very flirtatious it's always been more online i've always preferred to text over voice and i've always preferred to text over voice this is really sad especially in my 20s i always wanted to text flirt over voice flirt because it was too easy because a woman would get on the voice line with me and she'd be like oh Wow. Oh. 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 Ah. And that would be after I said hi. And I don't know what to like I if like if you're not expecting this voice to come through, I guess it's a real nice surprise. Uh and I don't <laughs> and I got to tell you, especially since I I hung around a lot of international communities. <sighs> I'm just being real, real with you. This isn't about anybody. Please don't picture anybody about anywhere in the world or what they look like. Because I'm not talking about any peoples. I'm talking about horny women all across the globe. All over. All of you. All y'all. Okay? 
But if you don't speak English as a first language, and like I've seduced you via text, and you don't know I sound like this, and then the voice call would start, that would always suck for me. That 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 never once turned in good. It was just always just like, especially like the worse off the English would be on the other line spoken aloud, the more, but, huh, Walter White, sexy, Walter White, sexy voice, sexy voice, I want, love voice, Gabriel Burns, so good voice, sexy. We were just talking to each other like human beings, babies. We were just doing it. The weirdest thing that I ever feel like that I talked someone into... The weirdest thing that I ever talked somebody into would be like, they'd be like, I want to see you on cam. I'm like, I'm not attractive enough. And they would text me. Like, I'd be in, I'd be in sex chat rooms in Florida with them. Like, I don't think you understand. I look like this. And they'd send me a picture of them. And like, I want to cam with you. Let's do it. <laughs> and they would often get very frustrated. And many times here, this would be the end. I'd be like, no, I don't want a cam. I don't have a cam. I don't want a cam. I'm not going to cam. They'd be like, fine. And they'd walk away. But sometimes you would be so desperate for the one guy on the sex internet chat who put periods at the end of his sentences and never called you a bitch and didn't automatically, like, start talking about, like, guns or, like, varmints or whatever. Like, just the one guy in there is con- and he's talking and he flirts and it's about emotions and he's talking about TV shows and, like, oh, you're so desperate for that one that you're like, oh, right, fine, fine, I'll just cam and I bet you'll switch it on. And that's the weirdest, every time that's happened to me, I've always been like, this is like, this is basically a marriage proposal. If you're willing to cam naked for a guy who's just audio or text, I'm basically, I mean, like, you tell me what a woman could propose that's a bigger deal in the 21st century. So every time I got that, I was like, well, I mean, I must have something. Because I wasn't even aiming for this. This is this is like the end of a George Clooney movie. I don't... So every time I got that, I knew that I was kind of special. Here's the thing. I've been getting that for 15, 20 years. Just saying. I've been getting women like, come on, I want to meet you in person. Or I want to come. And I'm like, nah. And they're like, okay, I understand. Would you like to see me naked on video, though? And I mean, like, again, anchoring. You got to try and separate yourself from your mindset. But I'm just saying, this isn't bragging. This is just my personal history. It's both. But this is back when I still didn't feel great. I didn't feel 100% with myself. I still wasn't comfortable. I hadn't processed my PTSD. Um, There were periods in my 20s where... All I cared about was the amount of money in my bank account. That was it. That was my personality. I was a little Tyro Wellick from Mr. Robot. I was so pathetic. Uh, I, I, I mean, I am still so fucking pathetic, but I was so pathetic too in a very different way. And again, we agreed before we started, if you fuck up in different ways, you're winning. So again, just remember that at the beginning, all right? I'm a fucking loser and I always have been, but I fail forward. 
Where was I? Oh my god, I mean, my first prompt, finally. I've been fucking rambling through this one. We've been doing pretty good. My first prompt. Where was I? Just before I got stuck on the Tyrell Wellick. Now I'm imagining that sexy, sexy Swede. Money personality, right? Money personality. In my 20s. So now, that was the flirting. That was, I, I mean, I've been able to get stuff that other guys haven't ever been able to get. And I don't want to list them. I, 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 I'm using the... I'm using the imagine a guy who gets offered many times, I don't like using that word, many times a woman, just, you would never do it, so just imagine I'm going to be naked on cam for this guy while he's either texting me or just watching me, and maybe he'll tell me after what he thought about it, even though we've only talked online a couple of times, but he won't give me other contact information, so this is what I'm going to do. Just imagine you being in that play. Have any of you done that? Are any of you brave enough to admit that you've been in that sitch before? Huh? So I've been, I've been getting that for over a decade now. And I was super fucked up when I was getting that. And I wasn't trying for it. And I wasn't, like, trying to get more out of women. I was just passing. They were making offers, and I was passing. And eventually, some of those passes would eventually turn into, well, all right, if I molest my sister while she's sleeping on cam, well, I mean, I mean, am I going to say no? Am I going to say no? I did say no to that one. I don't want anybody. I don't want you to molest your sister," said naive twenty-three-year-old me. Thirty-eight-year-old me would be like, "God damn! I've never turned on the video recording software before, but I am tempted." Holy shit! What am I about to witness? Holy crap! I don't even know if I'm into this yet. Oh, I kind of hope I'm not. Oh, I really kind of hope I'm not. Let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> So now I can flirt real good, and now I'm all sexy, and now I feel good, and I can tease, and women, like, I make women that I flirt with feel really good when I'm flirting with them, and I'm so complimentary, and I'm open, and oh my god, I'm just so fucking sexy, I'm just so fucking sexy, and I'm put together, and then I have no idea what to do with them, and I've got to figure it out, because at this point, it's now starting to be a little bit cruel. At this point, when I'm flirting with women and they're flirting back with me and I don't stop, it's starting to feel like I'm hurting them a little bit. Now, this is very arrogant, I'll agree. But I, it's, it's starting to feel like if I don't actually make good on something after a certain point of flirtation that I might as well be flicking them in the nose and seeing how long it takes for them to say stop. Like, I might as well actually be be harming them just a little bit repeatedly over and over again. Uh, and, and here's the example. I was just trying to flirt with someone. Uh, they were very good through text. And uh, not going to give away any personal details or any information about this whatsoever. But we were trying to flirt, and their flirtation style... This was, I, I think this is one of the reasons I was so intrigued with them. It kept changing. It just kept changing. Flirtation styles are pretty built into a person, and literally the first three times we flirted, she had a different style. And I just thought, God, this is fucking fascinating. I've never really 
encountered this before. She's the mystique of flirting. I can't wait to fucking hunt this X-Men. All right, let's play this game. Because the first time she came on super strong. And then the second time, like, you're like, oh, she came on super strong. Now you're going to say something like, oh, she went reversey daisy. She went all wilted flower. No, she doesn't have archetypes like that. First time she came on like a motherfucker. I just posted something on one of the social media, and she just came right into the DM box being all like, oh, you think you King Kong, huh? And the next time we flirted, she was almost like a Wuthering Heights type. It was almost like this back and forth. It was very, like, highfalutin and very high up there. And then the third time, it was all, like, dot, dot, dot. All of a sudden, there was ellipses on the end. And she was all like, uh-uh-uh, 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 after everything I say. And so finally, I'm like, hey, lady, pick a fucking lane. Which one of these are you? I'm enjoying all three, but which one of these am I going to fucking fuck? If we get down to it. And when I put that little squeeze on her, just that little first bit of pressure, because I hadn't applied anything. I just went wherever she went, those first three little text dates first. And just that first little bit of pressure, she immediately would bloop, just bloop, just bloop. That's the slow motion. Just pop, and it goes sprinkling everywhere, and all the confident girl juice that had been, like, her little flirtation embryo were destroyed, and the actual poor naked her was left into the world, and she was like, What do you mean? I go, what the fuck is happening now, right now? And she goes, I was drunk before, and uh, and I didn't know, and then you kept going, and then you just sang, and now we're talking, and I was just... And I go, baby, shut your mouth. <laughs> Do you want to flirt with me or not? Because I don't know what else to do at this point. I've never, I've never seen any. I've never, again, this is the first time I've never experienced anything like this before. And she's like, uh-huh. I was like, well, I keep flirting with you, don't I? And she goes, uh-huh. And I say, well, then you must be doing it all right, don't you think? And she goes, naked picture, naked picture, naked picture. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, well. (sighs) Huh. I wasn't going for that at all. Like, this was just trying to stabilize the patient. And so, like, if you if you take that to, like, the ER metaphor that I took it to, again, I'm doing George Clooney tonight, uh, and I'm like, she's like, she's coding, I'm like, clear, boop, clear, boop, and it, dee, 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 dee. she's still on the oxygen math and everything, and she's like, <sighs> and then she just, like, she doesn't open her eyes or anything, we can see him fluttering beneath the lens, and she just kind of, like, reaches her hand over for my cock and just starts kind of, like, fumbling with the zipper. Like, that's the equivalent of that one, and I'm just like, did I really just save your life in such a way <laughs> that you're just gonna... And it's like she just started me like, 
you can fuck me if you want. You can like that. That's all it took. Like I broke the confidence, and then like I guess I I I, <laughs> and then like what it was exposed with this scared little Dobie flirtation mimic inside. I was like, it's okay, Dobie. It's okay. You're doing fine. I'm doing fine. Well, that's fantastic. Here, I just shaved my pussy. Do you like it? So that's flirtation style four that she had. So we called it a date right after that. And then I just kind of wanted to ask her the next time, like, hey, which which one of these are you, do you think? Because this is really interesting so far. <laughs> but I have no idea who you are at this point. And, uh... I'm not too afraid to ask. So, fuck's going on in Crazy Town? <laughs> and I got an answer. And the answer was that she simply... Uh, again, I don't want to get too personal. I don't want to give too many details. But let's just say that she was legitimately flirting in different scenarios uh, with me. So that would explain why she was uh, a different mindset. I asked directly, was there more than one person on the other end of the line at any time? She's like, no, no, it's all just me. And they're really me, the pictures. Didn't ask that part. Got added just for free. And so we're flirting back and forth still because I am just at this point fascinated and I like the way that she writes. And so we're talking back and forth and we're still just kind of flirting and we're texting back and forth. And I say, well, I want you to do this as naturally as you can. I want to talk about sex. And I want to flirt with you as naturally as you can. Just no airs. Don't do what anybody told you to or anything else. Just flirt with me, okay? Just just say what comes to mind. All right? She goes, okay. I go, okay. Remember, we've, we've, this is our fifth or sixth date. <clears throat> I say, even though... You showed me pictures of so many wonderful things. I can't stop thinking about your lips and how if I could kiss them, I'd make you all mine. And she said, I'm dirty. Fuck me. So that word's off the list. I don't like that word anymore. That's the story about how I don't like dirty no more. I don't I don't know how to flirt no more. I don't I don't know where it's at. It's Dragon Ball Z, except bad guys have never appeared, so Goku just has to try not to explode people while working a day job. It's the aliens never invaded in Dragon Ball Z, so I'm just Goku walking around being all like, God, I I could absolutely rule this planet or destroy everyone here. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an Asian, less interesting Superman, and no one's going to point it out for 17 seasons. <laughs> what do you guys say? Should we move into the tip show? Should you give me some tips? 
Tip me, babies, I know you want to. I know you need to. You want to tip me, because I love you. Yes. Sierra says, thank you for being awesome. Thank you so much, Sierra. Brittany says, nothing. <laughs> I was doing better at it. Oh, Alex, thank you so much for the tip. That's it. After all the charm and after everything you've gotten, after the hell of a show I put on, I wrote for you. I did things for you. Oh, my God, babies. Put money in my Christmas basket. Didn't you see the tree? Aren't you all sending me gifts and money if you're not sending me something in person? Aren't you sending me money online? Aren't you seeing the, uh, everything I'm trying to do and how I'm putting myself out? I left the house twice, God damn it! twice in one day. I did Christmas stuff. I talked to somebody. I got upsold on a Christmas tree. Let's, say, let's talk about that real quick. What fucking bullshit is that? So I stopped by a place at noon, and I don't, even, I don't go to a tree yard because I wanted to pick up a couple of other things. So I go to a hardware store, and they have a million trees, so I assumed I'd find a good one. And I did. I love Doug. Uh, so I go there at noon, figuring, eh, I'd be pretty busy, Right? Nobody in there. Nobody. Thank you so much for saying the tree looks good. So I go into the lumber yard. I, I go into the hardware portion first. I get all that shit. And then I go outside uh, to go get the tree. And I want the whole thing. They put the net on him. Uh, they saw it off the bottom so that he'd drink real good. He's a real good drinker. Uh, I think Kitty wants to come in. Give me one second. Kitty, is that you? Oh, wow. You never want to come in very much. So I... Uh, uh, so, I, I, you know, I want the whole uh, Doug preparation thing. And there's literally just me. I'm the only uh, non-employee out there, only non-employee out there. And there's six, literally a half dozen employees. One of them is doing everything because the other five are literally just taking stacks and stacks of giant Christmas stands, uh, throwing them out there. Uh, picking up trees and putting them in the stands, uh, and they're literally talking about how they need 180 trees put up. So the other five are doing this, like, uh, Warcraft RTS video game style of just laying down all these rows of fucking trees and planting them up, and this literal forest of Christmas trees is being erected behind me while the one manager lady um, is, uh, is sawing off the bottom. And, like, I don't know what to do. When somebody asks me a question and I don't give a shit. Besides not give a shit. So if you ask me a question I don't give a shit the first time, don't ask it a second. I give, now I don't give a shit and I'm irritated that I have to say it twice. So she asked me the first time, how much should I trim off the bottom? And I said, surprise me. Because I don't give a fuck. What kind of fucking question is that? I have not given any consideration. I've bought Christmas trees every year. No one's ever asked me this before. Well, you fucking show me, lady. And she goes, and I swear to Christ, this is her exact language. She went, no, no, no. Swear to Christ. Quote, no, no, no. That's not how it works. To which I say, oh? Oh? Because I'm apparently learning all kinds of shit about Christmas trees right now. And she goes, yeah, you got to tell me how much. And so I look at it, it and I look at her, and I say, because I've now asked twice and been told no, that my answer was not sufficient, 
the normal amount. And she said, this is all true. This is a true story. A little bit more forcefully now, the customer is not always right in her lumber yard. <laughs> well, what did you get for the other Christmases? And I said, oh, I don't celebrate Christmas. Not since mom died. So she goes over and she starts cutting the bottom off the tree. She says something about three to four inches should do it for presents under the... She starts going to town on the fucking Christmas tree. Apparently that's all the input she needed and that was fine. But here's the part of the story that actually fucks with me because at that point I legitimately think it's just a misunderstanding and she's trying to be friendly, just too aggressive about it. Here's the thing. I go and sit over on my side... Uh, there's nobody else there. I dress very inconspicuously. I get immediately on my phone. I break all on eye contact with all the employees because I've lost five HP from this encounter and I don't intend to lose any fucking more. And so I go immediately on my, my phone and I start playing around uh, just looking for all the news that I'd be mad at if I were sitting at home. And I hear, like, I don't know, 45 seconds later, 90 seconds later... Now, where is he? And immediately, like, my mind is like, shields up. Prepare for the next encounter. Like, you know, there's no, it's like, <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> there's, there's no chance that's not about me. And now I'm the target of some bullshit. And here it comes. She comes at me so hard. So fucking hard. She needs to be a real estate agent or something. Something bigger stakes than a Christmas tree. Because I swear to fuck. She comes at me and she's all like, okay, well, there's a couple more things I want. And she's not talked like this at all throughout any part of this process. But now she's at like an auctioneer. All right, right here's what we want to do. Okay, we got a couple of things over here right before you get the tree. Right before you get on right out of here. We got to go. We got your tree preserver. We got your tree bag. We got you. What do we got to do? I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? And she's like, oh, there's just a couple things you need with your tree. I'm like, I need them? Because now linguistically things are getting real interesting between us. I, I like, you've told me what was requisite for the tree cutting information. Let me tell you about other family members that have died because of tree bags and tree preservers, lady. I've got a whole cast of characters back here. And like Hamlet Act 5, I will cut their goddamn heads off. You think I give a shit? <laughs> and she tries to upsell me a tree bag. And she's like looking at me real hard like I'm going to break eye contact with her over this after after I already played dead mama and gotten her to break. I don't know what her plan was. She looks at me real hard like it's a used car dealership or something. And she's like, yeah, a tree bag. That way you can clean up your tree real easy. You just put it down where you put your tree, you put the bag over it, ba-boom. No mess. She doesn't say ba-boom, that's me. She makes a move motion that I'm replacing with ba-boom. <clears throat> and I said, and I quote, because I am a masculine, manly man with my beard and my huge muscles and my, like, my workout clothes and my 
burgeoning muscles and all the re- I said muscles twice because I have lots of muscles and I have all these uh, I have all kinds of power and strength and I look at her and I say what any man what any powerful fucking man would say when a woman's trying to like stare him down and take his power I look her right in the eyes and I say my tree has a skirt already which is true. And she's not plussed at all. She's heard this line before because she immediately goes into, no, I'm not talking about a tree skirt, y'all. She starts trying to sell me on a tree bag a second time, and I cannot tell you enough. If my answer is no or no analog the first time, I sure as shit don't want to hear it a second. Don't say it again. But she just says it again. She just talks about how easy it is to take the tree bag and just take it all up so the needles don't get everywhere. And I say, so the needles don't get everywhere? And she goes, yes, so the needles don't get everywhere. And I lean and I say... I have hardwood floors. And just fucking wait. Just just wait for her to kindly hand me my fucking tree. So that's the story about how I got upsold on a fucking Christmas tree. <laughs> I've never really played a status card in my life before, but like if you're not gonna fuck off about a two ninety nine thing of tree preserver, guys, I just watched you cut the fucking bottom off the already near corpse dug. I don't know how you want me to preserve him from here besides bringing him indoors, standing him up, and getting a drink. <laughs> he's a corpse to be. How preserved he's going to be by the end of this is a miracle by any standard. I think it's worse if he's in perfect health, frankly, at the end of December. That's a little bit crueler, don't you think? If he's all vibrant and happy? (laughs) God damn, Upsold on a goddamn Christmas tree, man. Like, hardcore. So now I have this mindset in that they're, that she's the one who just told them that they had to put up the trees. They don't actually have to put up the trees. That's just her command. She's just, like, in that control of that lumber yard where she's just all like, I want 160 trees up! And everyone's like, okay, shit, fuck. Let's do it. There's no customers at noon right before fucking, I guess not right before Christmas, but I mean, like, what? She tried to sell me on the stand, and they have giant stands at this particular place for $25. They're made out of plastic. Giant plastic stands for 25 bucks. And she tried to sell it on me. I didn't put that in there because it's almost too ridiculous to say. That's almost the price of the fucking Christmas tree. The Chris- Doug was 40 she tried to sell me on that right off the bat. And I was like, I just, I really, like, I almost want to go back. And say like, hey lady, hey lady, you're going to be so much more successful if you try and sell the sand at the end. Don't show anybody the sand or the prices and then they won't think it because you've got it reversed. Because like I think they're thinking like if I see a stand for $26, fuck no, but maybe I'll get tree preserver for three. But maybe, maybe, but there's also the reverse property where somebody like me walks in and I see something for sale that bad and I'm like, 
All I can see at any other price tag is just a penetrated anus. Just an anus being penetrated. Once I see one price tag that bad in a place, I have to wonder if the rest are that bad as well, and I just don't see them. Is that what the barcode says when I ring it up? Is it just various symbols for how bad of an ass-pounding it is if you actually buy it? Did Santa tell me to drill holes in the bottom of Doug so he would die quicker because I didn't get tree preserver? Was there like a little nod or something at the end? And there goes Kitty. <laughs> he didn't buy the bag, Santa. You know what to do. Poison the tree on the way out. We'll get him next time. All men will buy the tree bag. What do you guys say to some poetry? <clears throat> the moon has a face like a clock in the hall. She shines on thieves on the garden wall, on streets and fields and harbor quays, and birdless asleep in the folks of the trees. The squalling cat and the squeaking mouse, the howling dog by the door of the house, the bat that lies in bed at noon, all love to be out by the light of the moon. But all these things that belong to the day cuddle to sleep to be out of her way, and flowers and children close their eyes. The Moon Robert Louis Stevenson Because of the silent snow, we are all hushed into awe. No sound of guns, nor overheard, no rushed vibration to draw. Our attention out of the void, wherein we are crushed. A crow floats past on level wings noiselessly. Uninterrupted silence swings invisibly inaudibly, to and fro in our misgivings. We do not look at each other, we hide our daunted eyes, white earth and ruins ourselves, and nothing besides it all belies our existence. We wait and are still denied. We are folded together, men and the snowy ground, into nullity. There is silence, only the silence, never a sound, nor a virility. To assist us, disastrously, silence bound. Winter Lowell by D. H. Lawrence <clears throat> One river gives its journey to the next. We give because someone gave to us. We give because nobody gave to us. We give because giving has changed us. We give because giving could have changed us. We could have been better for it. We have been wounded by it. Giving has many faces. It is loud and quiet, big though small, diamond and wood nails. It is story old, the plot worn and the pages too, but we read this book anyway, over and again. Giving is first and every time, hand to hand, mine to yours, yours to mine. 
You give me blue, I give you yellow. Together we are simple green. You give me what you do not have. I gave you what I had to give. Together we made something greater from the difference. When giving is all we have. Alberto Rios. <clears throat> Whoever you are holding now in hand, without one thing, all will be useless. I give you fair warning before you attempt me further. I am not what you supposed, but far different. Who is he that would become my follower? Who would sign himself a candidate for my affections? The way is suspicious, the results uncertain, perhaps destructive. You would have to give up all else. I alone would expect to be your sole and exclusive standard. Your naivete would even then be long and exhausting. The whole past theory of your life and all conformity to the lives around you would have to be abandoned. Therefore, release me now before troubling yourself any further. Let go your hand from my shoulders, put me down, and depart on your way. Or else by stealth in some wood for trial, or back of a rock in some open air, for in any roofed room of a house I emerge not, nor in company, and in libraries I lie as one dumb, agog, or unborn, or dead. But just possibly with you on a high hill, first watching lest any person for miles around approach unawares, or possibly with you sailing at sea, or on the beach of the sea, or somewhere, some quiet island, here to put your lips upon mine, I permit you, with the comrade's long-dwelling kiss, or the new husband's kiss, for I am the new husband, and I am the comrade. Or, if you will, thrusting me beneath your clothing, where I may feel the throbs of your heart arrest upon your hip, carry me when you go forth over land or sea, or thus merely touch you is enough, is best. And thus touching you would I silently sleep and be carried eternally. But these leaves conning you con at peril, and these leaves and me and you will not understand. They will elude you at first, and still more afterward. I will certainly elude you, even while you should think you had unquestionably caught me. Behold, already you see, I have escaped from you. For it is not what I have put into it that I have written this book, nor is it by reading it that you will acquire it, nor do those know best who admire me and vauntingly praise me, nor will the candidates for my love, unless at most a very few prove victorious, nor will my poems do good only, they will do just as much evil. Perhaps more. For all is useless without that which you may guess many times and not hit, that which I hinted at. Therefore, release me and depart on your way. Whoever you are holding me now in hand by Walt Whitman
Leaves of grass, my ass. That was fantastic. That was it for poetry, so thank you to everybody who did go ahead and request them. Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much. I appreciate it and you. Gemma, thank you so very much. Both of you, keep the show on and going. Everybody who tips does. Thank you for doing so. Keep them on a coming. Yes. <clears throat> and here we are. We've got one traditional love letter and one non-traditional love letter. I think they both should be very good. Here we go. My beloved angel, I am nearly mad about you, as much as one can be mad. I cannot bring together two ideas that you do not interpose yourself between them. I can no longer think of nothing but you. In spite of myself, my imagination carries me to you. I grasp you. I kiss you. I caress you. A thousand of the most amorous caresses take possession of me. As for my heart, there you will always be very much so. I have a delicious sense of you there. But my God, what is to become of me if you have deprived me of my reason? This is a monomania which, this morning, terrifies me. I will rise up every moment, say to myself, Come, I am going there. Then I sit down again, moved by the sense of my obligations. There is a frightful conflict that is not a life. I have been never before like that. You have devoured everything. I feel foolish and happy as soon as I let myself think of you. I will round in a delicious dream in which, in one instant, I live a thousand. <laughs> I live a thousand years. What a horrible situation. Overcome with love, fleeing love in every pore, living only for love, and seeing oneself consumed by griefs and caught in a thousand spiders' threads. Oh, my darling Eva, you did not know it. I picked up your card. It is there before me, and I talk to you as if you were here. I see you as I did yesterday, beautiful, astonishingly beautiful. Yesterday, during the whole evening, I said to myself, She is mine. <sighs> the angels are not as happy in paradise as I was yesterday. Henri de Balzac to Countess Huska, June 1835. Gorgeous. And now for a non-traditional love letter, one that I think is very appropriate. <clears throat> Nothing in my life's path would have predicted that I would be standing here as the first African-American First Lady of the United States of America. I am an example of what's possible when girls from the very beginning of their lives are loved and nurtured by the people around them. 
I was surrounded by extraordinary women in my life, grandmothers, teachers, aunts, cousins, neighbors who taught me about quiet strength and dignity, and my mother, the most important role model in my life, who lives with us at the White House and helps care for our two little daughters, Malia and Sasha. She's an active presence in their lives as well as mine and is instilling in them the same values that she taught me and my brother. Things like compassion and integrity and confidence and perseverance, all of that wrapped up in unconditional love that only a grandmother could give. I was also fortunate enough to be cherished and encouraged by some strong real male role models as well, including my father, my brothers, uncles, and grandfathers. The men in my life taught me some important things as well. They taught me about what a respectful relationship should look like between men and women. They taught about what a strong marriage feels like, that it's built in faith and commitment and admiration for each other's unique gifts. They taught me about what it means to be a father and to raise a family and not only invest in your own home, but to reach out and help raise kids in the broader community. And these were the same qualities that I looked for in my own husband. You are the women who will build the world as it should be. You are going to write the next chapter in history, not just for yourselves, but for your generation and generations to come. Please remember that. If you want to know the reason I'm standing here, it's because of education. I never cut class. Sorry, I don't know if anyone's cutting class. I never did it. I loved getting A's. I liked being smart. I liked being on time. I liked getting my work done. I thought being smart was cooler than anything in the world, and you too, with these same values, can control your own destiny. Your success will be determined by your own fortitude, your own confidence, your own individual hard work. That is true. Everything you need to succeed, you already have right here. I hope in pursuing your dreams you all remain resolute, that you go forward without limits, and that you use your talents to create the world as it should be. Because we are counting on every single one of you to be the very best that you can be, because we need strong, smart, confident young women to stand up and take the reins. We know you can do it. We love you. Thank you so much. Michelle Obama, The Mulberry School Speech, 2009. <clears throat> Boy, I don't know how to quite make a transition after that. There we go. Yeah, it's very good. Very powerful. I agree. Adrian, thank you so much for the tip. I appreciate you very much. Julie Kyle, my sound lover, yay for all your getting done, rewards, and presents to come. I'm sure you have been such a good boy. Julie, thank you so much. I appreciate you, my sound lover. Mwah. Lucky to have fans like you. Lucky, lucky, lucky to have fans like you. That's all there is to it. <laughs> okay. Let's move right on in to the next one.
she said it had to be quick and quiet. She said she needed it, to know if my body could still slide into hers, and if it still felt right, like us, if it worked, if I could still make her come, and if she could still make me come. It had been eight weeks. I leaned over to her side of the couch and kissed her lower neck, tasting the drop of sweat. She must have been nervous. I can be quick and quiet, I said. We walked to the bathroom and I stopped her at the doorway. I wanted to see all of her body, every piece of her skin, not just her face, her neck, her hands. I asked if I could undress her. You're sure? She said. She must have thought I was being polite. I reached for her shirt, touching her lower stomach. I let my fingers stay a moment, grazing just the inside of her pants, then lifted her shirt so their neck, so her breasts, came out. She covered them with her hands, and I instinctively looked away, as if she was telling me only parts of her body could be seen, not everything at once, even though I'd been fascinated about all her flesh, fascinating, fantasizing about kissing her legs, her thighs, her back for almost two months. I knew maybe I'd have to wait longer to actually touch with my lips, but it wasn't fair to want her this much, I knew. She was doing something I would never understand, feeling something I would never feel. But still, that didn't stop me from selfishly wanting to press our sweating bodies together for hours on end and make her moan hard so I'd have to turn away. I wanted to fuck her brains out since the birth of our baby. We can wait. <clears throat> Excuse me. We can wait. I said, I'm happy to wait. She unbuckled my pants and put her hand down the front. I could have come right then. Too quick, too quiet, I thought. I moved us to the bed and pulled down her leggings. We never had quickies. We always laughed at that term. We took our time in the bedroom because we could. So this was something new. And with a time limit... It oddly felt as though we oddly had to relearn each other. I put my hand between her thighs and let a few hairs tickle between my fingers. She was wet. She tried to pull me on top of her, but I stopped her. I wanted this moment only for her. For her to have the attention. Everything. I could never come close to what she'd done, is doing. But I could at least make her come so hard she'd have to pull a pillow over her face quiet. My fingers slid up and down. She doesn't always like penetration with fingers, mostly prefers my hands lining over the lips of her vagina, sliding my two fingers lower, then spreading them, then lower again, then spreading them. Her breath became a pant and her jaw tightened, always my silent cue that whatever I was doing felt right. I sucked the bottom of her ear and lightly exhaled so all she could hear was how much I wanted this. We'd come together for over a decade, married for over six years, but still, this felt like the first time I was tasting the flavor of her neck. She grabbed my hand and pressed it harder against her clit. She lightly shook and let out a low moan in breath. I watched her feet bend as they turned a lighter color. Then she guided me on top of her. I slowly slid in tighter, then winced. I quickly leaned up and, as if knowing I would ask if she was okay, she would put her hands out behind my head and pulled me closer, 
forcing me to face her neck. There was no room left to breathe, let alone for words. It was quick. She knew she was making it quick. She knew it, and she smiled as I started to tremble on top of her. I moved off and came onto my stomach. I reached the side of the bed, and there was a burp cloth and a butterfly-stuffed animal. I used my shirt. I've stared into this woman's eyes so many times after sex. She stared into mine. There's not always happiness in our eyes, as I imagine anyone in a long-term relationship would say. Sometimes there's anger afterwards, sadness, loneliness, and it's not because of the act, but because when you completely give yourself away, you don't have room to hide the tiniest little thing. And I knew we were the same. The baby cried from the living room. He'd given us fifteen minutes. She leaned over and kissed my forehead. I watched her leave the bedroom, her ass. I knew it would touch myself later, thinking about her ass. Next time, I want to go down on you. She didn't turn, but I heard her softly laugh as the baby cried louder. Another long, sleepless night ahead of us, just like the past eight weeks, with little to no quiet. All right, quick and quiet, but we had gotten that one before, for sure. So thank you to everybody who submits, but please don't submit twice. <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> up next, right away. I slowly awoke to clear, frosty blue eyes watching me. He was stretched out next to me, his head propped up on the palm of his hand, his free hand resting on my belly, a slight grin upon his lips. Good morning, beautiful. How did you sleep? My body was already singing. He had been playing with me while I was sleeping. My nipples were already aching, and I felt a yearning in my center. I stretched out and yawned a long, loud sigh escaped my lips, and I snuggled into him. Hmm. I liked sleeping next to you. I purred, once again taking note of his heart beating in my ears, the evidence, well, among other things, that made this real. He leaned down and gave me a brief kiss as his hand roamed across my breast, where my nipples were yearning to be pinched and pulled. Then he put his mouth on my right nipple and sucked while manipulating the left. They both hardened, and I there was an immediate tingle between my legs. I fidgeted as he rolled towards me, clamping his thigh over my legs so I couldn't really move. He bit my nipple pretty hard, causing me to jump, and he moved his hand back to my nipple he had just bitten, tweaking it roughly. Hey, I started surprised. That hurt. He said nothing, but continued to play with my nipples, using his long, nimble fingers as he leaned back to watch my face vacillate between pleasure and pain as they stiffened and sweetly ached. I closed my eyes and lost myself in the feeling as my quit swelled and my body hummed like a guitar string. I felt his breath on my cheek, and then he was pressing his lips to mine. I parted my lips and tried to swirl my tongue around his, but he was already up to his old tricks, backing away and not giving me what I wanted, which at this moment was feeling his tongue ravage mine. I involuntarily pressed myself up against his thigh, which caused my legs to spread a little in their confinement, and my juices leaped 
unto his leg. God, you have the most luscious, juiciest pussy I've ever seen. He slid his hand away from my tender and aroused breasts, down my stomach, and scraped his short, neatly trimmed nails lightly across my thighs, giving me goosebumps. He then slowly slipped his fingers between my already sodden labia. He said, as he prodded and poked his finger along my swelling clit, bent down and sucked a nipple, making me squirm. He altered his touch, barely applying any pressure, which caused my clit to twitch and throb, and made my pussy grab for something that wasn't even there. I tried spreading my legs and raising my hips to encourage him to massage me with a more deliberate touch, but he resettled his leg, further preventing me from moving my hips, so all I could do was sigh and make vain efforts to get him to give me some relief. All hot and bothered now, he murmured as he rubbed with long, slow strokes, do you like it when <clears throat> do you like it when I play with your tits and rub your clit? I couldn't move or open my legs, but he was still able to play with my clit and tease me, drive me crazy. Yes, you're such a fucking tease. I swore at him, You are such a naughty girl, cursing like that. He tried applying some pressure as he slid his finger along my clit, which flustered and throbbed, and I whimpered softly for some relief. You have no idea how badly I can tease you, he taunted, and more roughly than he had ever yet pinched my right nipple, twisting and pulling it at the same time, making my entire body stretch against the restraint of his body. <laughs> Please, I begged quietly. <laughs> I need you to make me come, please. I owe you a good teasing, then. Are you sure you want to come now? We could tease you for a little while longer until you're crying and babbling and begging to come. <laughs> I'm already begging you to make me come. Please make me come. I cried and strained against him. He slowly slid two fingers between my swollen, aching pussy on either side of my fat clit and stroked with deliberate pressure. Then he held the thads of his fingers on me, feeling me throb and twitch against him. His kissed me and forced my lips open, thrashing my tongue with his. Might as well have been licking my clit directly, and after just a few moments of both his fingers rubbing directly... Sorry for that. Fingers rubbing directly on my fully engorged clit and his swirling tongue in my mouth, I unexpectedly exploded in a howling orgasm at that moment. He used those two fingers to squeeze my clit hard, and I cried out in ecstasy. As he did again and again while I crested the wave, he shoved his fingers inside me as I convulsed around them, oh so lightly rubbing from his thumb and spasming my clit. There you go, baby. He cooed in his deep voice. He kept rubbing my clit lightly as I shook and writhed on his fingers, covering my hand in his juices. Finally, I had to push his hand away. It was all too much. It was too sensitive at the moment. I was gasping and tears squeezed out of my eyes as I came down. But I was still 
a giant fiber of need. Oh, my God, I need you inside me now, I groaned. You need what, my lovely? He sung. I pulled his hand from between my legs and rubbed my thighs and stomach, leaving a trail of my sticky sweetness in its path. He raised his fingers to my lips, encouraging me to lick my own juices off of them, which I did, and watched his eyes nearly roll back in his head. I was happy to do this, to please him. I wanted nothing else but to please him in this moment. I need to feel you inside me. I want to feel your hard cock deep inside me. Please fuck me with your big, beautiful cock. I begged. He rolled onto his back, released me from the prison of his thigh, his heart on rising up and away from his lean abdomen, welcoming me to climb up and take control, which I did. I straddled him to rub on the dripping sex of his hard dick, causing us both to moan. I wanted to have him fill me up, but I also wanted to tease him as horribly as he had me. I hovered over him, maneuvering the head of his cock, so it was just pressing against the hole where he became drenched as my juices oozed and ran, and I massaged him by contracting the muscles at the entrance of my hot, wet pussy. Now it was his turn to try and push me up and into me while I held myself beyond his reach, except I wanted him deep inside me too. Then I reached up and began roughing up my nipples as my tits hung over him. This caused a wave of pleasure to swirl through me and weaken me so I couldn't stop myself from pulling another inch deeper, and at that he attempted to thrust into me forcefully, which I tried so hard to resist to teach him a listen. But the ecstatic look on his face, his eyes closed, his mouth lolling open, and his moans escaping from his mouth, I could not help myself. And I wanted to be responsible for making him lose it and coming without being able to fight it at all. I lowered myself into his long, hard dick, allowing him to penetrate me fully, tapping him inside me, my swollen clit pressing against his pubic bone. God, you're so tight and wet, he groaned, rolling his hips beneath me. We worked out a tempo that caused our excitement to grow together, and I lost control of myself, feeling him deep inside me while he continued to torment my tits. I rocked with abandon as he cleaved through me. I reached down and placed my fingers on my clit so it rubbed rhythmically as we rocked. I'm going to come, I threatened, as I felt a hot, wet wave gush through me as he thrust up, and I came all over his hard cock, drenched him with my sweet, syrupy nectar, spasming and shaping like it would never end. He reached up and squeezed and tweaked my nipples as I shook and rocked and quaked all over him. He let a calm down for a moment, and then started pumping inside me. He hadn't come yet. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I pulled myself off of him slowly, squeezing my vagina muscles around him. I left his dick hanging in the cold, cold air. Where do you think you're going? He asked, trying to mask the desperation in his voice. I slid down onto the bed and got between his legs so that I could play with and tease him, as he had me the night before. I stroked him and felt him stiffen. I fondled his balls and started kissing and sliding my tongue along the soft flesh of his belly, inching ever closer to what he wanted me to do to him. But I was doing him like he did me, making him wait and strain to reach my mouth and tongue 
but I wouldn't allow it. Two can play at this teasing game, Buster. I said evilly, and he groaned. I nuzzled in the soft-skinned area at the base of his abdomen, nibbling, leaving a little mark. What do you want? I asked tauntingly. He looked at me with such a longing, but he was stubborn. He wouldn't say it. Do you want me to suck and lick you until you come on my tongue? I growled as he groaned and belied a mounting desperation. I relished one more sticky, sweet, clear pre-cum. My mouth engulfed his head for a second, and I sucked back with just a slurp and a pop. Or, or, do you want me to ride you until you finally release your load? I lowered my voice to barely whisper, inside my hot, wet cunt. I added emphasis to the T in my sentence. God. His cock started twitching and turning an angry shade of red as I played all around it, only every once in a while, pulling on the head teasingly, we twinned his hands in my hair to keep from pushing my head closer, and so I would take my mouth. Uh-uh, I said, none of that. Paybacks, bitch. I crooned, and I moved back up to his chest, started kissing and licking path up again from scratch. When I got back down there, I began nipping and biting his thighs while gently stroking him. God damn it, Christine, you have to suck it. The desperation now evident in his voice was very real, and it was very nearly made me come with no sort of physical stimulation at all. I stuck my tongue out and slid it across my head. Like that? I asked innocently. I can taste myself on it. I uttered ever so softly. He growled, Fucking suck my dick, he moaned. I squeezed around the head of his hand and slid it all the way down to the base, just to the fingertips to brush his balls. I then used my tongue to lick up all the remnants of my own juices up and down the length and slurped his cock into my mouth, swirling my tongue all around his head and getting rewarded with another huge, juicy load of pre-cum. I began sliding my mouth up and down on the throbbing dick, taking him as deep as I possibly could and tried to keep from gagging, although I did once or twice over the next few minutes I worked on him until I was ready to let him have the release and allow him to drink his cum. I moaned and groaned all around his cock as I sucked and bobbed without restraint on his head and massaged his shaft with my head, wondering if humming around him felt as good as I thought it did. Again, I enjoyed how stoned and hard he was under the smooth, soft, hot skin of his dick. I reached around and drenched my pussy, covering my fingers in my own juiciness, and then I toyed around his anus, poking and prodding, sticking just the tip of my finger in and feeling his sphincter grasp me as three things happened simultaneously. One, his cock started jerking so hard it popped out of my mouth and started shooting off wildly until number two. I was able to gab and stuff it back in, at which point he, number three, let out an unearthly keening groan and kept shooting as I swallowed and savored every drop, needing to please him, willing to do almost anything to accomplish this. I happily sucked, licked, and cleaned every drop off him, quite pleased with myself.
God, you're so fucking sexy. He groaned as he just fell back onto the bed completely spent. His breathing slowed as he pulled me to him in a close embrace. I have honestly never felt the way I do with you, with anyone, ever. We're going to have to work something out, because I'm not about to let you go. I kind of looked at him like he was out of his mind. We literally stumbled across each other as strangers yesterday and hit it off, and I had prevented myself from thinking of this as anything other than a wonderful memory, fantasy for future self-pleasuring of a completely non-regrettable one-night stand. Dear Sirius, he said while studying my face, reading the sequence of my thoughts as they crossed over them, had he known what I was thinking at every turn last night? You wouldn't have a problem with that, would you? After the Fall by Fever Dreams of Life is their Reddit username, Fever Dreams of Life. That was hot as fuck. Tip me, cause you want to pay me, and none of you tip me during that porn. Don't you want more porn? Yes, you know you do. So you tip me to keep it on coming through. All right. <clears throat> I mean, you've gotten a hell of a show at me already, and I was talking before the show. It's already been 90 minutes long. We've got more porn. Come on, girls. I know you've got that extra Christmas money and all those extra bills and all that, but you can pay me a little bit. Yes, you can, please. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Miss, you messed up my order. Pardon? I wipe my hands on my apron, staining the Cafe Lena logo with espresso. The woman behind the counter lifts her chin. She's lanky and weathered like a, <laughs> a dissected fruit and swathed in mismatched floral patterns from head to toe. I ordered a decaf mocha with soy, and this isn't soy. It's skim. It's most definitely soy. I would know since I'm the one who made it for her every morning. I'm tempted to point this out by my newest hire. Evan is watching from behind the register. Rather than serve as a poor example, I bare my teeth to say, I'm sorry, let me just make you another. I dump the perfectly good mocha and start over, waving the carton of soy milk around for all to see. When I'm finished, I cap the drink in hand and hand it off to the woman. She takes a sip and leaves without so much as a nod. What a waste. Evan rolls his coal-rimmed eyes. I watched you make the first one with soy. I should have said something. It's better you didn't, I said. And anyway, you know the drill. The customer's always right, especially when they're wrong. Evan grunts and then takes advantage of the lunchtime lull to sweep the floor. Cafe Lena is less of a cafe and more like a cubicle that serves coffee wedged between a cosmetics boutique and a Yankee candle store. Other than the patio furniture outside, there isn't a lot of space for hanging out. Most of our customers are in for the grab-and-go variety, white-collar drones en route to the office, and retail slaves in desperate need of a pick-me-up. Hey, cat. Evan empties the dustpan into the bin. Mind if I take my break early? I could really use a cig. I've come to suspect Evan's cigarette breaker actually code for phone sex with his firefighter boyfriend. I bite back a smile. Sure, I I've got this. 
I passed the time before the lunch rush post by organizing the flavor syrups and replenishing the cookies in the lower display case. I'm just about finished when I spot the expensive slacks and shiny brogues making their way towards the counter. Smoothing my apron, I rise to meet the stare of the man opposite. Good afternoon, Esteban. And you as well. He wets his lower lip, pink and plump, like grapefruit flesh, Catalina. I've known this man since I was in braces, back when I made a point of introducing myself as Catherine in front of everyone at Father's firm. The day we met, Esteban took my name, swirled it around his mouth, and offered it back to me transformed. To family, friends, and employees, I am either Cat or Catherine. To the man I met at bars, I might as well be Kit, Kate, Kathy, or if I'm feeling cheeky, Kitty. But to Esteban, I will always be Catalina. What can I do for you? I fold my hands on the countertop. Esteban's gaze flickers over the charm bracelet tattoo around my wrist. He smooths his salt and pepper goatee. I'll take a cappuccino to go. Coming right up. I pull the shot, tap the grounds, and steam the milk, sensing his gaze on my back like an invisible hand. I dispense the espresso into a paper cup and then carefully pour the milk, wiggling the metal pitcher to create a foam heart. He won't see it once I've placed the lid, but all know it's there. New cappuccino. I slid it across the counter. Esteban takes the cup and then offers a ten-dollar bill. I shake my head no, given the number of times he's bailed me out, literally and figuratively. I don't feel right charging him. It's on the house. Catalina. We stare each other down until finally I surrender. His grip on the bill is firm, and I have to make an effort to free it from his fingers. Thank you. If I had a dime for every time I thanked the man, I wouldn't have to worry about wasted espresso. He lifts the drink to his lips, those deep-set eyes trained on mine. Are you free for dinner tonight? I could be. He smiles and takes a step back. Then I'll pick you up in eight. Enjoy the rest of your day, Catalina. You too. I trap my, teeth I trap my tongue between my teeth and watch him go. We have our favorite haunts, Tritoras and Irish pubs, sushi, tapas, and oyster bars. Tonight we dine at Adriana's, a bistro with black tablecloths and curved leather booths. I let Esteban order for us filet mignon over celery root puree and single malt scotch. He clinks his glass with mine and slides it closer to me in the booth. How's business? Good. Evan's been showing up at time, and we only have a few pain-in-the-ass customers. I swirl the amber liquid in the tumbler before taking a sip. The burn used to make me wince. Now I cringe at the thought of adding eyes. Speaking of pain in unwanted places, how's my father? Homicidal, he says. Sounds about right. Esteban is a partner in my father's law firm. That's where we met in my father's office almost twenty years ago. He lost a case last week. The entire firm is walking on eggshells. My father always had a temper, but it wasn't until after my mom died that he became a tyrant. My mother was the love of his life, the most beautiful woman he'd ever known. 
He used to reminisce at length about how perfect she was, especially at dinner when he saw me reaching for a second helping of potatoes. Unlike my mother, perfect is not a word my father would use to describe me. He has other words for his only child. When I realized no amount of dieting and celiactic acid was going to magic swan me into my mother, I rebelled, and not just at the table. I became rough around the edges, someone to keep an eye on. Now, in my thirties, I more or less have my shit together, though I bear the proof of my wilder days on my skin in the form of tattoos, and my hair bleached platinum blonde and dyed electric blue. He left two voicemails last week. I say, I should probably call him back. Give him a few more days. He barged into my office this morning, spouting some bullshit about suing clients for wasting his time. I told him, last I checked, failing to kiss his ass wasn't against the law. I snicker. I'm sure you love that. He threatened to ship me back to Bogota in a bag. I told him to get back to work. The charm bracelet tattoo catches his eyes as I reach for my drink. He touches the steel gray chain, the tiny coffee mug, my mother's initials, and the three hearts, one for every year Esteban and I had been together, unless you count the summer after my first year of college, and the time he laid me on my father's desk and made me come with his mouth. I flush at the memory. My father would be furious if he knew Esteban and I were seeing each other. Few would bat an eyelash at our age difference, but my father would not see it at way. His protege turned colleague fucking his daughter without his permission. Is that why you want to go out tonight? I ask. Rough day at the office? Esteban glides his fingertips from the fringe of my hair to the small of my back. I melt against him, glad to have opted for a halter-style dress. I asked you out because it's been too long since I've been inside you. The waiter brings our food and another round of drinks. Esteban keeps his hand on my thigh while he isn't cutting his steak. I consider offering the slice to meat for him so that he never has to move it. What about him? Esteban aims the knife at the bar. I wait a few seconds and then turn. A dark-skinned man sips beer from a pilsner glass. From this distance, I guess him to be about forty-five. His navy blue suit is well-fitted, though not as bespoke as Esteban's Armani. <laughs> okay, if it's bespoke, it's not Armani, baby. Just saying. And the way he pauses between drinks to swipe at his phone suggests he's on his own time. Alone, but not lonely. Do you find him handsome? Esteban asks. <laughs> you know I do. He wouldn't have pointed him out otherwise. Esteban's gaze narrows. Jealousy was a point of contention through his marriage. Since his divorce, he'd worked to recognize the tendency so he can control it instead of the other way around. In doing so, he's discovered that jealousy turns him on. Aggravation is a means to arousal, a combustive combination. Do you think he has a big cock? His breath is hot on my neck. I don't have to touch him to know that he's hard. But I reach over anyway. Not as big as yours. I palm Esteban's cock through his trousers, making him hum low in his throat. Occasionally I can get him so worked up that he'll fondle me under the table, always over my panties. 
never enough to get me off. I bet you'd like to find out. The accusation whispered in my ear makes me shiver. He loves this part. When the trajectory of the evening begins to take shape in his mind's eye, I love it too, not least of all because of the effect it has on him. If I wasn't here, you could send him a drink. His hand dips between my thighs. I gasp. I could send him one with you sitting right here. Esteban summons the waiter. I order a whiskey from the man at the bar. As soon as the drink is delivered, I give Esteban's cock a final squeeze and rise from the booth. For years I dated men who were indifferent towards me because I didn't think I deserved better. It didn't help that the first man to devalue me was none other than my own father. Whether it was about my weight or the acne I battled throughout puberty, he accused me of not washing my face enough as if my blemishes were an affront to him personally. How dare I be imp- perfect in his presence. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but his words are the real weapons. You can start a war with nothing but words. You can break a promise or a heart. My skin is improved with medication. My hyperpigmentation can be viewed when veiled with concealer. I learned how to shop for clothes that complement my figure and how to tell when a man is undressing me with his eyes versus waiting for someone better. The man at the bar stands at my approach. He's an inch taller and perhaps a few years younger than I thought, with a smile that reaches through time to the boy he used to be. I. He offers his hand. I'm Alex. I am the shiny red bicycle propped against the fireplace on Christmas morning. Kate. Good to meet you, Kate. Thanks for the drink. This might be the best whiskey I've ever tasted. A bottle of the stuff in his hand probably cost twice as much as his suit. Well, you looked thirsty. His gaze turns curious, like he's not sure what to make of me. If there's one thing I've learned about men, it's that most of them like to be picked on, just a little. Alex laughs, takes a drink, winces. I smooth out my smirk. (laughs) Waiting for someone? He shakes his head. Just in town for the night. On business. Oh, what do you do? In truth, I don't care what Alex does for a living. I don't care if he likes his job or if he makes a hundred pages in the next great American novel rotting away. I don't care if he's single. After some small talk, he says, Where are my manners? Can I get you something? I'll have a glass of Merlot. I chance a glass at Esteban while Alex flags down the bartender. He's staring intently, ready to send this pup, scampering with his tail between his legs at the slyest hint of my displeasure. Alex passes me the Merlot, his gaze traveling over my arm, my neckline. Knowing he's looking at my breast makes my nipples harden. I like your ink, he says. I thought about getting something done, but I haven't gotten around to it. I bet you hear that a lot. It's a popular aspiration. I sip my wine, dark and smoky with hints of cherry and black pepper. Alex watches my throat as I swallow. I inch closer to him and extend my arm to show off my sleeves, knowing the harder I flirt, the harder Esteban gets, and so I'm determined to flirt my heart out. Alex touches the black colour lily beneath my elbow, and then the Celtic knot. I can tell he wants to fuck me by the way his pupils dilate, and he treads 
his fingers through mine. I wish Esteban could see it too. It would make him furious. Has anyone ever told you that you have the softest hands? He teases my palm with the pad of his thumb. It tickles, a jolt skittering up my arm. Desire is a living, breathing, undulating thing under my skin. You might be the first. I lie, tilting my chin. He leans towards me, poised for a kiss. Listen, I'm staying at the hotel across the street. Would you like to take this conversation up to my room? This man has me revved like the engine of a Corvette speeding in the wrong direction. I take a steadying breath. I'm afraid I can't happen. But it was very nice to meet you, Alex. I hand my wine glass off to him, and he runs his thumb over the lipstick imprint, looking confused. I turn to go. Did I say something wrong? He catches hold of my arm, not tight enough to hurt, but enough to assuage my guilt I might have felt over leading him on. Not at all. Then what's the problem? I nod in the direction of the booth. Alex locks eyes with Esteban, whose gaze is pinned on the other man like he wants us to use him for target practice. Wait. He says, If you're already here with someone, why'd you buy me a drink? Like I said, you looked thirsty. Alex squints at me, bemused, and then adopts a put-upon squall. And you let me buy you a drink because... <laughs> because you offered. I loosen my arm from his hold, and I'm always thirsty. I make my way back towards the booth and slide into the seat next to Esteban. His name is Alex, I whisper. He invited me up to his hotel room. My pulse drums between my thighs. If I were to reach below the table, I'd have no doubt to find Esteban rock-hard and raring to go. Take me home now, please. Esteban smooths the scruff along his chin, then tut-tut-tuts. I've got a better idea. We rent a room in the hotel across the street. Sprawled out on the king-size bed, I watch the flames lick around the faux logs in the gas fireplace. Impatience tugs at my limbs until I'm a marionette dancing on my back. Esteban drapes his jacket over a chair, then removes my black pumps one by one and spreads my legs. My squirt puddles onto the bed and around my hips. What you did back there? To what's-his-name? Wasn't very nice, Catalina. Esteban remembers Alex's name as well as I do, but hearing me say it again will fuel his jealousy. His name is Alex. Ah, yes. He caresses my calves and then slides higher, his thumb skimming the bluebird tattoo of my inner thigh. I let my head loll to the side and anticipation flutters through me. He wanted to bring you here. He wanted to fuck you on a bed, just like this. Esteban hooks his fingers into the crotch of my panties, pulling them taut. The air is warm, but I still gasp as it rushes to greet me. He tilts his head to see past his hands, assessing my pussy as though it were a rare and curious thing, as if he hadn't already made me come every way a person can. He told me I had nice hands. I say, I, I think he wanted me to wrap them around his cock. 
My panties snap against me. I flinch at the sting and then smile. You're a fucking tease, Catalina. He palms my breast, flicking my nipples through the silken fabric. Add minute. I'm a tease. He pinches my nipples and my entire pelvis throbs. A fucking tease. One who deserves a to-be-taught a lesson. Esteban unbuttons his shirt and then reaches for his belt. I scoot forward with my hands flat on my stomach. I press my cheek to the bulge in his pants. I need to hold him in my fist and feel how bad he wants me. I need to taste him and his desire on my tongue. He lowers his pants and boxers, then curves my hands around his cock. A drop of precum beads at the tip. I gloss my lips with it. He groans. A deep rumble fills the room and makes me tremble. I bet Alex is somewhere in this building with his hand around his dick, thinking of you. The conjured image of Alex touching himself to me at the thought makes me whimper. I close my mouth around Esteban's cock. He He licks his perfect lips and then cradles my scalp, urging me on, holding his gaze. I take in more of the shaft and then start to suck. Air hisses through his clenched teeth. I can't get enough of how he's looking at me, like I'm the only person capable of making him feel this good. I press my brow to his belly, the head of his cock making me gag. Easy, miha. He says, my mouth just a wet pop and shoves me onto my back. Reaching under my dress, he pulls my panties aside to explore me. His thumb slips sliding all over my clit. Catalina, you like sucking cock so much. I wonder if you'd like to have a clit at the back of your throat. It's true, I adore sucking his cock. I love being able to gauge how turned on he is and how quickly my mouth fills with his precum. Right now, I can't decide where I want Esteban's filthy mouth to go, so he chooses for me, aligning his body with mine, mouth to mouth, cocked cunt. He takes no prisoners. I moan as he pinches the clit, stroking upwards to draw back to the hood. He strums to stiffen bud, tweak and shudder, so sensitive and already so close. Two strokes shy to the point of no return, he abandons my clit to ride me of my underwear and then poises my cock at his folds. You think you can take without offering something in return? That's not how it works, Catalina. It's time to pay up. He thrusts into me, and parts of me are gladly pushed aside to make room. I cry out again as his tongue as he fucks me, a wail that skips and starts like a favored song on a scratch CD. He grinds his pelvis against mine, and with every thrust, and it's almost, just barely, enough pressure to get me off. When he feels my muscles tighten, he stops, pulls out, and tells me to suck his cock. I let Esteban use me. I let him march my body to the peak of arousal and back down again, over and over. He knows I can't come without touching my clit, so he pins my hands to the bed. This is my punishment, my penance, my stringing poor Alex along and making Esteban jealous. I am the tease, getting a taste of her own medicine. I savor every drop. I beg, my voice hoarse and pathetic. He's got my legs over my shoulders and a top in a skew, breast bare for him to torment as he pleases. I can 
feel the damp spot we've made on the bed beneath me. He pulls out and spreads my legs, then rubs my clit with his cock until the calf muscles spasm. Then he's gone, and the absence of his touch is agony. Oh, don't fucking stop. He laughs, stroking myself. I'm still reeling when the first hot splurt hits me between my legs. The only thing I love more than coming is watching Esteban come, seeing that look on his face, and knowing that I put it there. He pumps his erection, mocking me until there's nothing left. I'm so turned on, I could sob. You think you deserve to come after what you've done? Please? It's the only word I know. He thumbs my clit like it's an afterthought, using his semen as lube. Mercifully, he doesn't stop. At first, my orgasm is soft and skittish. I have to chase it. As soon as I sink my teeth into its flesh, my whole body shudders. I shiver and shake. I rattle with the sound that I made entirely animal. Esteban draws me into his lap to rest, and his arms are strong and solid, his chest and belly soft from years of desk work. The smell of his skin comforts me, like the scent of someone else's pleasant memory at home. The hair on the back of my head feels matted. I must look like something the cat dragged in, but I couldn't care less. Still jealous of... what's his name? I jest. He chuckles, his fingers circling around my charm bracelet tattoo. I remember the day I got the chain and my, mumbers, my mother's initials. The grip of Esteban's hand around mine, the piercing hum of the needle and the burn. I remember my father insisting that no respectable company would ever hire me. He made Esteban partner the following year. I used to be jealous of you. I confess how my father would strut you around the office, the son he always wanted. He guides my wrist to his lips. Catalina, I want to tell him about us. If he doesn't like it, that's his problem. He sighs. Now is not a good time. Will there ever be a good time? Sure. The day he retires. He's been talking about it. I think he's getting ready to hand it off to some of his clients. And, of course... You want him to hand them off to you. Is that so unreasonable? Considering the shit he's had to put up with all these years working alongside my father, no, it isn't. I don't want to begrudge him his success. Still, I gather my knees to my chest. I used to get off on the secrecy, the furtive glances, and office quickies after dark. Now, I see it for what it is. The sheltering of yet another aspect of my life from my father's disapproval. Esteban cups my chin. I understand that you want to stand up to your father, but could you do it in a way that doesn't encourage him to make good on his death threats? Glancing down at the sheen coating my inner thighs, I force a smile. I want to be angry with him for choosing, for not choosing me over my father's good graces, but how can I be? He's dedicated too many hours to the firm, spent too many years as my father's right-hand man. How could I ask him to throw it away when I've spent decades wanting to trade places with him. He kisses my temple. Does the fact that I don't say I love you in front of your father make it mean any less when I do? It doesn't, but that neither of us are willing to say it in front of him makes the whole thing feel sordid when it shouldn't have to. 
I'm going to end it there. It goes on for a little bit, but it seems like it's more emotional. So that was a fantastic scene, and that is from Make It Right. Whoever submitted that one, thank you so much. Uh, went on a little bit longer than I thought, so that is going to be the last piece for this evening. Uh, we hit just about two hours of actual show and recording time. I hope everybody who participated had a nice night. Thank you to everybody who tipped. Thank you to everybody who came out. There's the last link. I appreciate it all it and you very, very, very much indeed. Oh, gosh, guys. I never mean to complain, but won't you please tip? Daddy don't got enough monies. Oh, it's the holiday season. Kelly says, amazing show tonight. God damn, you're right, Kelly. You are absolutely correct. To everybody else, thank you again for watching. Have a wonderful night, and I hope to see you again real, real soon.